Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take on your etiquette questions on contractors and quotes, putting registry info on an e-bite to a second reception, sending gifts late, and a primer on roommates. Plus your feedback on wedding showers, your etiquette salute for the week, and a postscript segment with Dan and Pooja is going to be here with us as well. They're going to be here to talk about managing expectations around the birth of a new baby. All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And I apologize that I am still battling allergies and you may hear some continued coughing or maybe a sniffle and I apologize. Apologize. It is not how I want to be delivering this podcast to you. No apology necessary. <laughs> thank you for being here. <laughs> well, thank you for being here, cuz. And we have an extra special person who's going to be here today. Tell them what's happening. We do. I'm so excited. Today we get to introduce all of you to my lovely wife, Pooja. Pooja will be joining us for a postscript segment today where we're going to talk a little bit about some of the etiquette that emerged around a new addition to the family. And it's also just a great excuse to introduce Pooja, and she's going to have, hopefully, a cooing and quiet little Anisha sending in her arms. So we'll look forward to that. And normally we would uh, totally introduce her right now and do a little chat with her and then bring her back for the Postscript segment, but she is coming into studio actually a little bit later, so pardon us pre-introducing her without her here, but she will, she will come back later and we will be very excited once she arrives. We're trying to time this arrival with a, a quiet and peaceful moment with the baby, so we're going to limit yes. the studio time that we all spend together. Yes, otherwise we would love to be introducing you to Pooja right this moment and, and chat with her a little bit, you know, first time in studio, first time on the show, all, all that jazz, but we will get to that in our Postscript segment. In the meantime, we had kind of an interesting question come in, and it was about names, and someone was asking about Dan's names, kind of saying, what's up with the post-sending thing? And Dan, so what is up with the post-sending thing? Because it's like, it's your nom de plume, kind of. I appreciated this question. Lizzie sort of called out to me as I was walking past her office and I said, oh, that that's a question that we haven't addressed on the show. And I'd love an opportunity to do that. And the question had to, was very, very brief, just said post setting question mark. And I decided to use the middle name post when I published because I work for the Emily Post Institute, a five generation family business built around the legacy of our great great grandmother, Emily Post. And my connection to the Post family is through my mother. And 
My mother used Post, her maiden name, as her middle name after she married my father, John Senning. But she took his name legally and uses it socially as well as professionally. And I decided to follow her lead in that. I'm incredibly close to the Senning family and to my father. And I love my last name, Senning. So even though I I write and publish and work for the Emily Post Institute, very connected to the Post family, I'm also really proud of and really like the last name Senning. But if you were to look at my birth certificate, you would see that my given middle name is Rickley. And I also really like that name, but <laughs> that got to be an awful lot of names to include. So I write under the name Daniel Post Zenning. And I remind myself that Tom Cruise's real name isn't Tom Cruise <laughs> and that in some ways Post is... Well, exactly. And I mean, come on, we got to connect you to the Post brand where, you know, we as authors write under an actual brand name of Emily Post. All of our books are typically Emily Post's something or other. And it just makes our lives uh, publicly so much easier if Post is a part of that name somehow. And like you said, you didn't want to be Daniel Rickley Post Senning. Um, So it made sense to be Daniel Post Senning. And it follows exactly with what your mother had done as well. When she would publish, she was under the name Cindy Post Senning. And even though that is what was on her changed marriage certificate, you know, she used it. She didn't just go by Cindy Senning, just like you aren't choosing to go by Dan Senning, your Daniel Post setting for all intents and purposes of the Emily Post Institute. It's a solution that I've really come to enjoy as I've gotten deeper and deeper into this work. I really like sharing both of those family legacies and having both of those names be part of my public identity. So thank you for the question. Pardon the little diversion into a little personal family history, (laughs) but it felt appropriate also on a day where we'll be introducing a couple more settings to all of you. And you know, you do a version of this yourself, cuz, cuz you're Full name is actually Elizabeth. That's true. And our grandmother was Elizabeth Post. So to write under the name Elizabeth Post, I, I couldn't actually. I've never gone by Elizabeth, though. So it was not something I connected to aside from when I signed documents. <laughs> um, but I went as Lizzie Post. And a lot of people think Lizzie is a very a kid-like young name. Um, so I get questions about that a lot. How come you're not Liz or like Betsy or something? Well, Lizzie's what they called me. So Lizzie's what we wound up with. <laughs> well, and Elizabeth is such a beautiful name. It is, no, I love my full name is Elizabeth Audrey Post, and I absolutely love my my full given name. I really do. I think it, it, I'm very proud of it, much like you are proud of Daniel Rickley Senning. And um, but in terms of, we already have had issues on uh, lots of book sites where my name got switched for my grandmother's name, or my grandmother's name got titled under my books, and it starts to get confusing when you have the the different names. So I stuck as a Lizzie, she stayed as Elizabeth. You've added Post, and somehow we're all still etiquette experts. I really. <laughs> Like Lizzie. I think it's I know. a great name. I love my name. Don't worry. Like, I'm very happy. I was very insistent. Well, and our Aunt Peggy, <laughs> yes. who wrote under the name Peggy, is a Margaret. Is a Margaret. Exactly. So there's also a little bit of a precedence. There, like, it just kind of happens. But I'm pretty happy with my name. Are you happy with your name? I'm pretty happy with my name. Sweet. Let's be happy with our names and move on to some questions. Let's do it. Awesome. Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. 
Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. The heart of awesome etiquette is answering your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or please hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want your question on the show. This question is titled Respectful Renovators. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. My husband and I appreciate your podcast. It has made it so easy to learn about etiquette, especially with a new baby. We're planning a move and need to do renovations to sell our home. To do our due diligence, we are getting quotes from a few contractors to get the best deal and work. What is the etiquette behind getting these quotes? Do we inform the contractors that we are speaking to others? Once we make our decision, do we let the other contractors know we went with someone else, or do they just assume this is part of their business? Sincerely, Hopefully, respectful renovators. <laughs> I think it's great that you're thinking of this now. This is the kind of thing a lot of people think of afterwards when they either have to make these awkward calls or they get a phone call like three weeks after they've already accepted someone else's bid on a project and they're going, oh, sorry, didn't mean to leave you hanging. And then they don't know how to say we chose somebody else. So I think that there, you know, there is definitely an etiquette to uh, the quote portion of hiring contractors. And I think it's really great that respectful renovators are thinking about this ahead of time. Just like you wouldn't want to be left hanging, waiting for someone to get you a quote or respond to an RSVP. I did a renovation a few years ago, and I remember being so excited. A friend of mine who I really trust and had such good things to say about this contractor that he worked with. He gave me the contractor's number. The contractor came over, looked at the house. We talked about the project. He said he'd get me a quote. Never heard from the guy again. I Ooh. repeatedly called and texted, not annoyingly so, but did the kind of once a week checkup and never received anything that nothing even I'm so sorry, but I won't be able to do this job. I mean, nothing. And that is it is rude. It is frustrating. You think, what did I do wrong? I mean, it takes a whole level of unnecessary thought, like thought that just doesn't have to happen to a person. Did I not make the cut <laughs> yeah. for some reason? 
it, it made me wonder about my own behavior, which is never a bad thing. But at the same time, I was really bummed. And I think whether you are a contractor or whether you are a renovator, uh, you know, client, um, I think it's really incredibly important that you make sure that you close the circuit of conversation when you're dealing with getting a bid, asking for a bid, getting quotes, that sort of thing. In our personal lives, we talk about not ghosting someone, not just disappearing on them. That How many questions that can raise in someone's mind. And this is sort of a, a business version of that in some ways. And That's exactly it. If someone's given you that quote, they've invested a little bit. They've spent a little time with you. They've probably visited. They've put some thought. They might even put some effort into drafting up a little proposal. Sometimes it's just, oh, this would be about that much. Sometimes there's a little bit more put into it than that. But definitely that level of investment, I think – earns or warrants that level of reply afterwards that just a very simple note or or contact saying we've decided to go a different route. Thank you so much. You know, one of the other things that you've asked about is do you let potential contractors know that you're still gathering quotes? And I say it's up to you um, if you want to share from whom. But I would say that you're still reaching out to other people. Um, Absolutely appropriate to say I'm still getting a few quotes from some other people or we're meeting with a few other contractors, but I really look forward to getting your quote. That's exactly the type of language you would want to use there. It's honest. You don't have to say, you know, who you're actually asking quotes for from. Um, but you can act, you can absolutely tell them that, that this is a part of the process. You don't have to say that. They know that, just so you know. Um, but you can just understand that it is part of the process to inform them that you're, you're looking at some other people. It'll also help you understand their schedule. I found a lot of contractors would say to me things like, okay, I've got these two other jobs that I've also been on. And so just so you know, if they say yes, and the, the calendar starts to fill up, um, it's it's a nice way to kind of get a feel for who's available and when they're available. And that is something you should talk about anyway. But sometimes this conversation about the competition out there spurs people to kind of say, oh, well, right, that's right. There's other people out there that you might say yes to instead. And therefore, I, I find it kind of bubbles up some interesting stuff if you do that. <laughs> it's really practical. It'll It'll help those sorts of things. It'll also help you from creating the impression that you're absolutely going to say yes. Right. From getting too far down that road in someone's mind that this is money in the bank, a done deal. Um, And it's a very good way early on to let people know what kind of ground everyone's standing on. And then as Dan said, as soon as you do know and make your decision, email, text, call the other contractors and let them know that you've gone with someone else. Respectful renovators, you sound really respectful to both of us, and we wish you the best on this exciting new project. Our next question is about second receptions. Hello, we are having an out-of-town wedding for my daughter, followed by another informal reception at our home a week later to accommodate those friends and family that we did not have room to invite to the wedding. Question. I am using a paperless invite for the second reception, which is much more informal. Since the guests were not invited to the wedding, is it still appropriate to put my daughter's wedding registry on the evite? We don't want our guests to feel obligated to bring a gift. We will be serving a buffet dinner with wine. Thank you, Janet. Janet, first of all, a great big congratulations on the wedding of your daughter. That is awesome news. And please pass our best on to her as well. And also, what a lovely idea to have a reception in your hometown to continue to share this good news and, yeah. and to, to really celebrate. I think it's it's an awesome idea. Well, and when the venue doesn't have enough space to invite everybody you want, this is a fabulous option. And not uncommon. People do this all the time. 
Now, to get to the etiquette, because this is a different set of guests, because there are going to be people attending this second reception who weren't a part of the ceremony, who weren't witnesses to the big event, weren't part of that particular big day, a different set of guest rules, although we like to avoid the, the word <laughs> rules, yeah. applies in this situation. And you're you're wise to be thinking about it. I think that's clear from the paperless nature of the second invitation. You're already showing awareness and giving guests indicators about the less formal nature of the second reception. So probably the biggest new rule for the second reception is that most guests are going to be thinking rightly that they're not obligated to bring a gift to a second reception. Absolutely. And because when it comes to any invitation, except for possibly a shower invitation, you don't put registry information on the invitation. Um, you would it, whether it was a first wedding or a second wedding or a third wedding, you don't put any registry information on an invitation. So I would make sure that that applies to my paperless invitation as well. Um, and instead, the best thing you can do is just leave that registry information off the evite. Guests are already not obligated to send or give a gift at this second reception. Therefore, you don't want to make it all of a sudden seem like the invitation is about these gifts that they're not obligated to give. So I would leave it off. And instead, when people RSVP, if they're really interested in giving a gift, because it's totally up to them and it's it's certainly something I would be prepared for, that's when you can give out that registry information. So when guests RSVP to this, if they say, hey, is there some registry information or something so that we could get a gift for the couple? That's when you can email them that information. All this, it sounds like, is being done via email. We're sending evites. So even if they call, you could still tell them, oh, they're registered at, you know, such and such store.com or I will send you the link. What's your best email to use? That sort of thing. It sets it up really nicely. I think it does justice to the fact that the guests aren't obligated to give these gifts so you're not automatically creating pressure on them by including that registry information on an evite and it really keeps that focus on please come celebrate with us when we, you know we weren't able to have you come before and we really want you to be here now I like that idea of having it available if someone RSVPs and is curious because it, it honors the, the impulse or the instinct to try to make things as easy on a guest as possible without creating that impression that there's an expectation that a gift is going to be part of this party. Janet, good luck with the rest of the planning. I'm sure with this level of forethought, it's going to be a smashing success. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This question is about acknowledging a late gift. Michael called in and left us a voicemail. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I really enjoy your podcast. I've got a question for you about a graduation gift. My college roommate's son graduated last May, and I still haven't sent him a gift. I've had the gift for a while, but I don't know how to write a note. Should I mention that I'm sorry the gift is this late? Should I not mention that? I was taught growing up that you had a year to give a wedding gift. I didn't know if the same thing applied to a graduation gift. So any help you could give me 
would really be appreciated. Thank you. You know, sometimes we get voicemails and the the person on the other line leaving the voicemail just sounds like someone you would really want to go get a cup of coffee with or like take a long walk with or something like that. I just got that vibe from our listener, Michael. So, Michael, thank you so much for calling in and sharing your wonderful voice with us, um, as well as your question. I think it's very cool that you are still close with your college roommate after 20 plus years. Seconded. Um, Like, right? Isn't that awesome? And I also think it's super thoughtful that you want to send a gift. You are right that the wedding gift year-long thing was definitely a tradition a number of years ago. I would say that in the past, uh, I think it's been actually within the past 10 years, I would say, that we changed that to be really within three months. It was kind of Peggy's era with the brand that changed that to being um, within three months we try to send a wedding gift. The same rule, however, doesn't apply to graduation gifts. So I think it's one of those you send it as soon as you can and it's never too late kind of things. I couldn't agree more. Okay, we, good. we often say the best is the enemy of the good. This is a case where don't not do it because you're worried about doing it in a way that's wrong or inappropriate or incorrect. And definitely still being within that one year window is nice territory to be in because I think it lets you minimize the degree of mention of the lateness <laughs> and try to keep the focus on the gift, the celebration itself. I might feel compelled if I were you. And I hear my own internal dialogue when I hear your question. I I (laughs) oftentimes feel the same awkwardness, particularly writing a thank you note to a close friend because it is a slightly more formal process and you're so used to being very familiar with these people that sometimes it can start to feel awkward even with that pen in your hand. But a minor mention of that delay is fine. I'm so sorry it took so long to get this out, but I really wanted to celebrate your graduation. I think that a a brief mention is fine. In fact, maybe even sets the table, shows a little self-awareness. But you don't want to dwell in that uncomfortable place. You want to take that focus and shift it back towards your really thoughtful gesture. And that really is the, the heart of what you're doing here. Awesome sample script, cuz. I think that that is fabulous advice and really great wording to offer someone um, that that quick, short acknowledgement and then move on to the point, which is let's celebrate your graduation. And at this point, you might even include something about that first job that, that this young man might have. Something like that to show that you're still aware of, hey, I know it's a year later, but... It does it without apologizing again. And now you're back into that more traditional congratulatory note territory. You can close out by wishing someone well, wishing them the best in the future. If there is some forward thinking thought that you can add, that's often a really nice thing to do because it starts to move that relationship forward as well. Michael, we hope that that encourages you to send this gift with a a nice little note with it and continue this wonderful relationship that you have with your former college roommate and his family. Our next question is regarding roommates. Dear Lizzie and Dan, thank you so much for all your hard work on what has become my very favorite podcast. Congratulations to Dan on his new daughter. I have that is just so lovely. Sorry, it's like I'm thank you. We are very glad to be your favorite podcast. I have a question about roommate etiquette. My husband and I married young, both moving from our respective parents' houses into our own current house, so neither of us has ever had roommates. My closest friend has recently faced some financial and health problems and needs to move into our spare room for a year or so while she tries to get her life stable again. We have been financially supporting her for the last year and expect to continue to do so unless and until she is able to get a job, which we are happy to do. 
She will do all the cooking and most of the cleaning in lieu of paying us rent, and we will likely pay all the food and other costs of having her here. Again, we are fine with that. I'm just trying to explain the financial imbalance as it will inevitably affect the dynamic. Could you please give me some etiquette advice for dealing with roommates and setting ourselves up for success, bearing in mind that my friend also has never lived with people except her family? I want to make sure that we are all clear on our expectations and obligations so that we can deal with inevitable conflicts without it damaging either my marriage or the friendship. Would you recommend a written agreement of our mutual expectations, a weekly meeting to see how things are going, or to keep it more casual and just reinforce the importance of communication? We have similar lifestyles, so I don't foresee any obvious flashpoints, but I also don't want her to feel like she is getting charity from us and hurt her pride. Many thanks for any pointers you can give me. This is an area of etiquette that I have never considered before, and I want to make sure it goes as smoothly as possible. Best wishes, Anonymous. Anonymous, this is an incredibly generous thing that you're thinking about doing, and I want to start off by acknowledging that. We should all be so fortunate as to have friends like you in our lives. And oftentimes when hardship falls on anyone, it really is the help and support of friends and family that can make all the difference. And it sounds like you're that friend who's making all the difference in this person's life. And I want to start out by applauding you for for taking that step and really supporting someone in such a concrete way. And for also understanding that this may be going well now, but that there's potential in the future for other th- the more complicated and invested this relationship gets, there's just more potential for things to to happen. And I think it shows a lot of care and investment in these relationships to be taking this forethought now. It really does. And you're, you're clearly looking at it from a few different sides or looking at it from different angles from from her perspective. You don't want her to feel indebted to you. At the same time, you recognize that you're talking about a, a, a long time frame here, a year or potentially more, and that in that amount of time, relationships can change, circumstances can evolve and shift, and that People might be feeling differently in one month, three months, nine months than they are right now, that you want to honor the relationships but also acknowledge the very practical concerns that happen when people live together. I also like the mention of your husband here and the way your relationship with him might be impacted as well as your relationship with your friend and that there's really three people that are going to be interacting and and living together with um, a pretty enmeshed set of lives that that your new house guest, your new your old friend, new house guest is going to be in some ways contributing to the household by cleaning and cooking and that that's in some ways an acknowledgement of the financial burden that you and your husband are taking on or the the generosity that you mm-hmm. and your husband are showing by both paying for food as well as the housing itself. So I definitely think that formalizing communication and really having explicit Um, discussions about this relationship are both things that I would absolutely recommend. Absolutely. And, you know, it can seem over the top to write out agreements with people that you are so close with. And yet at the same time, that can be the thing that makes it so easy to have kind of, I don't want to say proof because that's not the point. You're not trying to use this as leverage against someone else. What it does is formalizes something that because of the nature of your relationship with this person has such a chance to become so informal and so ingrained that the next thing you know, 
expectations aren't being met and it's confusing because you don't kind of have a benchmark to go back to and say, hey, this this is what we had agreed upon. Um, and I think that's sort of the, the reasoning for, for where our advice is going to come from is a place of it's so great when you do have uh, something written out and expectations and obligations really spelled out clearly for people so that, you know, memory is a tricky thing. I all the time am saying to Dan, I remember, I remember, and I all the time am adding to it, but memory is faulty. So even though I'm really strident about this right now, I also know I could be wrong. And it's it's just a great tool to have in your back pocket if you've written these things out and really communicated about them ahead of time. And writing them's one option, making them explicit, really sharing them, having them be reflected back to you so that everybody has a chance to contribute to those ideas and agree to them, I think, is an important first step. I also really like the way you're thinking about formalizing some system of communication moving forward. And maybe a weekly meeting turns out to be a little more than is necessary. Maybe you say, let's get together and touch base every week for the first month. And then maybe after that, we can make it a monthly meeting is one way that you might go with it. But definitely setting up a structure so that you avoid the awkwardness of even having to ask for that time, that you really show some forethought here when you talk about the inevitable conflicts that will arise, and they will, whether it's the people that you work with every day or the people that you live with every day, whenever people are in that close contact, eventually there's going to be something that comes up. And Having a system in place, even if it's as informal a system as we're going to have dinner together once a week and we're going to start dinner by talking about how it's going (laughs) that we're all living together might be enough to really start to take care of some of those issues before they become bigger problems. So you asked about what should we be looking out for? What should we be thinking of? And I think there are a, a lot of things to think of, actually. It's important to not overwhelm each other with all the things and get so nitty gritty with everything that all of a sudden this sounds like a chore for us to all live together. But it is really important to spell out the uh, aspects uh, of this relationship really clearly. I would make sure that especially because your new housemate is going to be compensating for not paying rent by doing the cooking and the cleaning or majority of the cleaning you stated, I would spell out what that means. Does that mean that this uh, roommate is responsible for breakfast, lunch and dinner being ready to go for the two of you or the three of you? Are they responsible for just dinner four times a week? You know, are they going to feel bad if you cook dinner one night because they feel like they aren't meeting what they need? Set up some kind of parameters for what does it mean to do all the cooking? What is expected with all the cleaning? Is it the weekly cleaning? What about that monthly cleaning that has to happen? The deep cleaning that needs to happen a a few times a year? Clearly, you're going to be in this relationship with this person for a while. Um, What does cooking and cleaning actually mean in this household and under this arrangement? Set it up clearly. That way, if things start to slide, you can point to something and say, so this is, you know, the expectations we had set and um, we're starting to see them not being met. So let's have a conversation about that. Maybe we need to reset these expectations. 
that's one way to, to, you know, address the issue as it comes. But I would also make sure that you take responsibility as the homeowners for what's your obligation? Here this person is living under your roof. Your obligation for fixing a broken ceiling fan or fixing the things that make her living there comfortable and, and enjoyable. So think about the type of things like that. Um, is she going to be contributing to lawn work? Is she going to be contributing to gardening? Is she going to be contributing to shoveling the driveway if you live in an area where snow becomes an issue? These are things you really want to try to spell out. So you as the homeowners are also going to talk about the things that you are going to commit to. And part of this is also to establish a line of communication that allows for the roommate to not feel taken advantage of. If I was in this situation, while I would be very grateful for what my friend is doing, I also probably wouldn't think that I have to clean up behind this person everywhere I go. I'm going to do the weekly vacuuming. I'm going to do the weekly mopping, whatever that is. But I'm not going to clean up every crumb that they trail through the kitchen on the, you know, it's or I'm not going to you just did a project in the living room. You can't just walk away from it. You need to establish those types of protections because you're already concerned and caring about this person not feeling like this is charity. You also don't want them to feel like, as as we just said, that they're being taken advantage of. So, Dan, let's kind of bounce back and forth between a few other areas that might come up. A big one that jumps out at me is visitors or guests. How are you going to manage or establish expectations around when you have company, whether your friend is automatically invited and is part of every social gathering or how you are going to honor her social life, whether she's going to be hosting people, having her own company over? And what are the basic expectations around each of your guests or company at the house? I know. Are drop-in visitors allowed? Are they not? I mean, just, yeah, you got to really spell it out because all kinds of circumstances arise. This will play into the idea of also having alone time. And when you start to talk about guests and visitors, it's also going to start to, I think, bring up the concept of carving out time where people can expect privacy and can expect peace and quiet. And there are lots of different possibilities for ways that this might work out depending on your personal preferences and your friend's personal preferences. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, but they're definitely areas that you want to be thinking about. And you're, you you know, you're a young married couple. Like you guys are going to want some alone time. You're going to want some couple time and you're going to want to carve that out. Another thing that you might not have thought of, and this is one that I find usually crops up a couple months into a communal household living situation, is the use of products. You guys are taking care of all this person's financial needs. So does that include buying shampoo, face wash, you know, a certain type of soap? I don't know. Whatever it is, what are the products that are being used and are you are you paying for them? Are you also contributing to any kind of like social allowance for this person so that they can go out and have a dinner out with a friend that's not the two of you or, you know, go enjoy some time socially out in the world. Like it's when you really start thinking of taking care of someone else's finances, it's not just the food or the housing. There's a lot of things associated with that, that if you don't talk about them now or inquire about them, you might not know later on that despite the fact that you guys are being so incredibly generous, your friend might still be having quite a number of issues in other areas that could be stressing her out because these are places where we spend money too. What about when something gets broken? Right. Accidents will happen. Mistakes will be made. A spill on a carpet is that different than a broken dish in the sink? And you're not going to be able to to define ahead of time every single thing. But again, 
talking openly about this ahead of time, acknowledging that it might happen, and even drawing some firm boundaries around things that are non-negotiable might really help avoid some of those potential pitfalls that might emerge later. This one might be a little bit awkward, but um, having lived with a lot of people over my my 15 years of roommates now, um, the comfort question, can you walk around in your underwear? How appropriate is it to be in a towel? I had a roommate who had towel time where after a shower or bath, she would hang out in her towel for a while, might watch some TV in the living room in her towel, might fall asleep kind of on her bed with the door open in her towel. Like, just was towel time. And, you know, it was new to me. It was totally not an issue. It was not something that made either of us uncomfortable in any way. So it wasn't a thing. But I've had other roommates where when I was living with a significant other, I wasn't as fond of seeing our roommate in their underwear. And it was like, Come on, man, like, just put a bathrobe on if you're going to be, like, jumping around the house in underwear. I don't know. (laughs) So talk about the comfort issue. Talk about those kind of strange and uncomfortable things that you would think are obvious to everybody. They aren't always so obvious when you're talking about being in someone's home for a very long time. And that translates and starts to cross into that territory of use of the common spaces. Yes. So you're clearly thinking about the kitchen ahead of time, but also talk about the living room. Talk about the the TV and the internet the that computer. are shared <laughs> household resources. And um, <laughs> you wouldn't ever think it's a conflict until someone's favorite show is on at the same time someone else's favorite show. I know we live in the age of DVR, but what but if it's still. that Tuesday night that's the free night that everybody has? And yeah. all of a sudden that that one TV, that living room space becomes so precious. And how are you gonna? How are you gonna treat that? So, and I think comfort zone translating into common spaces is really worth absolutely a talk. Also, and remember that those common spaces go to bathrooms, storage. You know, storage can become a common space. the The use of outdoor things like a grill, stuff like that. You just want to talk about it. That way, you've at least addressed it and. The, the issues are going to arise. You're prepared for that. The issues are going to arise. So you want to kind of head everything off of the past that you can, but in a nice, digestible, friendly, encouraging way, right? I mean, that's easy. <laughs> Anonymous, we hope that this sets some groundwork for you to be able to feel really confident moving into this very amazing living situation that you are creating with your friend. Um, clearly, you and your husband have large, generous hearts. Based on your email, it sounds like you all are off to a great start, and we wish you the best. Good luck with the monthly meetings, good luck with establishing all of the expectations, and good luck with enjoying your friend living with you for a bit. That's an awesome scenario. And thank you to everyone who sent us something for your questions, updates, and comments. You can send your next question to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can leave us a message on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want it on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And a few weeks ago, we talked about uh, wedding showers and gifts at wedding showers being sent to a different location from the shower and maybe not being opened at the shower. And you all responded with some very great stories, suggestions, and thoughts on this. So I thought we would share a couple of them today. Sarah wrote to us about uh, wedding shower gifts with a creative solution that really worked for her family and friends. I loved this. Dear Lizzie and Dan, 
First off, I just wanted to say how much I love your show. I always listen to you while I'm powering through my filing at work. You make a very tedious part of the job turn into a fun, fresh lesson on polishing my etiquette skills. We are so happy we could be of some assistance. Don't put Q over by Z, though, just in case you're filing right now. (laughs) In response to your wedding shower for out-of-towners, I wanted to share a really sweet story or shout out an idea for out-of-town showers. When my mom got married, my aunt was living in another state and was not able to come home for the shower. My aunt was a professional athlete turned coached, so most of her surrounding friends knew my mom growing up. My mom is significantly younger and was the back girl. My aunt and her friends threw a shower without my mom. My aunt's friend acted as hostess with a luncheon. My aunt and her small group of friends brought a wrapped gift and videotaped themselves opening the present and sharing well wishes to my mom. They then shipped the box with all of the presents and a VHS tape, hey, this was 28 years ago, to my mom as a surprise. This is still something my mom mentions at every bridal shower we attend. I think this is a really thoughtful idea to those who are out of town to still participate in the festivities. On the reverse side of it, if the gifts were sent ahead of time, the bride could video herself opening the gifts and it could be played at the shower, hopefully not on a VHS tape. My dad calls it the Mylar. (laughs) Just thought I would share with you both and your listeners. Thanks for all of your wonderful insights, Sarah. And we've heard the updated version of this is to like do Skype or FaceTime or some kind of video chatting to do this. And we do think it's a great solution when when you really can't be there or when you've, you know, I think about Cousin Pete and Elizabeth. And when they got married, they had just moved from San Francisco. And rather than have to go back to San Francisco or invite all these people to a shower in Vermont that you knew they were never going to make a plane ride for, you could have totally done a Skype shower and just made it work. I think it's a great idea. Allie also wrote in about the shower gift question, and here's a tradition her friend told her about. Lizzie and Daniel, I love your podcast, and I actually listen to it while I'm at work. I just listened to the episode about shower gifts and the possibility of a gift card shower. When I was getting married, I dreaded the idea of having to spend hours opening gifts in front of guests, and I absolutely hated it when it did happen. Interestingly, a family friend informed me of a tradition that she grew up with. When she was getting married 20 plus years ago, all of the local guests would send their gifts to the hostess's home the day before the shower. The hostess would then open the gift and display the gift with its card during the shower. This allowed other guests to see the gifts that were given and have their gift displayed, but kept the focus on the bride being able to visit with the guests. I wish this was still a tradition. Opening package after package of spatulas and placemats can get awkward. This seems like a great way to get the best of all worlds. Have you ever heard of this tradition or have any advice on how to revive it? Allie. This certainly resonates with us. This is something that derived from a wedding tradition that used to be much more commonly practiced. Right. Emily definitely wrote about this in her early editions of Etiquette, and it was certainly practiced in the early 1900s. It was a way to display all of the the gifts that people were given, and it was also a way for those who had given really flashy gifts, really expensive gifts, to kind of get credit for having given such a nice gift. But literally a whole drawing room would be set up with, like, white tablecloths, and all the gifts would be piled up and... There's a great example of this in the movie Philadelphia Story. 
um, where you see this like long table with, you know, silver spoons and this and that and it's draped all over the place. But it was really showy. It was really that was that was a lot of the intent behind it. This story that's being told, this family has adopted this as a way to serve them and make the party more about the bride connecting with the people who gave these gifts. The one thing you're losing out on, though, is that moment when the gift is open and the, the surprise and enjoyment. And I understand our writer saying, how much surprise and enjoyment can you really be getting after spatula, after spatula, after spatula? And I can totally understand. I also know there are a lot of people out there who don't enjoy opening gifts in front of people. And I think that there are solutions to that. Um, you, no one said you have to have a shower, first of all. And also, no one said that you have to have a shower with gifts. Um, there are lots of people who do showers of showers of advice, showers of well wishes, um, showers of just come, let's just come celebrate this moment together before we then go celebrate this moment together. But um, a lot of people are already established with so many items that you would normally give at a shower that for many of us, showers just aren't even a necessary part of the wedding process. And so I would also advise to people that if you're going to have a shower and you're worried about that like hour of opening gifts, I mean, you've been through this, Dan. You've had wedding showers. You've had baby showers. You don't have to invite everyone to one shower. You can have your mom's friends throw a shower for you, and maybe that's a group of 10 people. And then you can have your best girlfriends throw a shower for you, and maybe that's a group of like five to seven people. Then you can have a shower from your people at work that might be depending on the department you work in. You know, I mean, for us at the Emily Post, it would be like four people. You know, you can break your showers down so that they aren't as overwhelming for you, the bride, if you're not the type of bride who enjoys this experience. Um, But I, I still will always champion and advocate for some way for the giver of the gift to actually see the reaction of the person opening it. And that's why I love that first example, because even though they weren't present, these presents were being opened and you could and recorded so that you could see that. Or if you did the, the Skype thing, you would be able to see that moment. And there is a beautiful moment of exchange that happens between a gift giver and a gift receiver. And I, I just I just want to champion for that as everyone gets very creative about the ways to do different types of showers that are going to work for them. I love that focus on the spontaneity. I think that's that's really nice. And the human connection, because that really is at its heart, what the gift-giving experience is all about. Clearly, we love talking about showers, and I can't help but leave with a final thought that just is, love every gift. (laughs) Love it when you open it. If you go in with a spirit of, I'm going to enjoy this, I'm going to appreciate everything that I'm given, it's really going to transform the whole nature of the experience into one that I think you're really going to enjoy. Thank you so much for sending us your thoughts and updates and stories. I am just loving the stories that we are getting. They are bringing such wonderful ideas and options and alternatives for people. So please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Well, it's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript is especially exciting because we've got Pooja Gupta Sunning in the house. Woo! And little baby Anisha, too. <laughs> Dan, please introduce our listeners to your lovely family. Well, you've all heard so much about Pooja. It really is a delight and a pleasure to welcome her to the studio today. And Thank we also you. have 
in our arms, mm-hmm. little Anisha. She's right here. So um, for all of you that have uh, sent your best wishes to the new baby, um, she's right here to hear them sort of virtually <laughs> through the magic of radio about? and podcasts. She's got like little knitted hats and she booties. Does. I mean, she's like decked out from our audience. It's awesome. We have all really felt the love and just can't can't begin without thanking you so, so, so much. Thank really you. Everybody. Incredible. Seriously. But we didn't bring you in here just to say thank you. (laughs) We brought you in because we had a lot of really great questions right around the time of Anisha's birth about managing expectations at baby time. And I said that after you guys went through it, I wanted to do a postscript segment where we circle back and talked with you about what kind of you thought it was all going to be like and then what it turned out to be like in those that kind of first month after baby. And so... I would love to kind of interview you two on this. Does that sound good? Yeah, that sounds great. Awesome. So let's start with the hospital. This is like day of. As mm-hmm. most women who have experienced labor know, like it's it starts and then it's it, a process. It, it's a process. Yes. It's not just like, okay, and then the baby comes and no. everyone's in the hospital with stogies and like, you know, signs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> What were you hoping for your hospital experience? I remember Dan saying, the more the merrier. Like, we have a text list. What did what were you prepared for going into it? So I'll, t- I'll take this one. Um, I had actually prepared instructions for Dan entitled, Things for Dan to Do When Pooja Goes Into Labor. I like that. <laughs> and the bulk of that instruction sheet were people to contact. Yeah. Friends and family and then kind of um, those family members reaching out to other family members. And I had this list maybe two months before. It was hanging around the house. We Eventually, I just took a photo and, you know, emailed it to Dan to make sure that he had it. <laughs> I like it. And then the day before the birth, of course, as things go, I, we're at the movies. I drop my phone and it conks out. I'm not talking, you know, temporarily. <laughs> the thing melted on me. So I don't have liquid any. Liquid screen. <laughs> liquid screen. So I don't have any contacts, no friends that I can reach out to. So I really had to let go of that entire process and let Dan take over, which I have to say he did a great job of really just connecting to the nuclear family. And that's what ended up happening. And it was wonderful. How far did you go down the list? Like, did you give him a sample script to work with? Like, oh, did, did you say, this is yes. the text that will this be is, sent out to it, everyone? I, I thought about language? it. I thought about it. I said, this is exactly how I want okay. this Okay. Follow up right truth now. question. Dan, did you use the sample script? Did you copy paste it? No. no. <laughs> Definitely not. I don't think he even found. I emailed him the paper, but I don't think he looked. I don't think he referenced my my instructions. Pooja and I can laugh wholeheartedly at this one. We'll throw Dan under the bus. Dan, Dan admits to not being the best texter. And so I was very curious if we were going to get Dan with a, a sample script that sounded like Pooja or if it was going to sound like Dan when it came out. I will take some positive ownership of this. <laughs> do that, do that. Because <laughs> it was, um, it, it did end up falling on me during the, the labor to do a lot of the communicating. Yeah. And it did really, um, the immediacy of the moment really reduced that communication down to the people that were absolutely mm-hmm. the closest to us, our, yeah. our parents and our siblings. And I'll even take some credit. I really stayed on that and I pushed to have that happen as... Our attention was going all kinds of different directions. I was um, going to say, you were on can top of it. Mm-hmm. Very complicated. And as a lot of uh, dads out there know, sometimes you're you're able to be there communicating to the rest of the family. Other times you are right there in the thick of it. So, you know, whatever happens day of and moment of or hour of as labors may go, 
you got to be able to roll with it. Did you guys have a backup plan for like who's going to be your point person if Dan is like totally preoccupied and can't be the guy? Our, our parents ended up being the relay and our um, guiding principle or light in that time was we, we would say to ourselves if – this was our daughter, what would we want her to be saying to us? So it was that oh, classic nice. good etiquette of you think about the other person <laughs> as much as you can in that moment and try to behave in the way that you'd want to be treated if the situation were – if you were on the other side of the situation. So tell me about then what was it like? Where I mean because we all, the family, I know, we weren't like in the waiting room like hanging out the classic movie scene – um, but I know I got to come do a visit the, about a day after she was born. And I know, obviously, your parents were there. And Pooja, your parents were up visiting, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, what was the scene? Was it like everyone came in at once once she was born? Or was it like, you know, people trickled in and did their visits over the course of the time you were at the hospital? What was it like? Well, actually, my parents... My mom in particular was crawling out of her skin wanting to be near the action. <laughs> and, and of course, you know, with the labor, like you said, it just it's a process and, and it, you don't know exactly when you're going to be ready for visitors. So at a certain point, my mom just determined that she was making her way to the hospital. So she got in the car with my dad and Cindy, Dan's mom, and they were driving. And then at that point, Dan actually called, you know, once the baby was born and, and let them know. And they were in the car. And they're like, we're actually, you know, five minutes away and we'll we'll be parking the car in a second. So it, it worked out really well. We had a receiving team and it was really the grandparents. And it was so nice to just, you know, have her be there with them. It helped. And I'll acknowledge the nurses yeah. and the staff at the birthing center were really incredible. And it came up from a podcast listener in the shows that followed Anisha's birth that someone recommended really leaning on those people. And they really proved to be much better prepared than we were in many ways and were a real asset in, in those moments. That is so awesome. So I, I'm, I'm curious, did you think more people would have come to the hospital or were you surprised by the amount of hospital visitors that you got? Because you were there for a little while. Like you were right. The the hospital stay was like it yeah. wasn't just like, boom, baby's out. OK, get in the car. Go home. Right? Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, we expected just our parents really to come and then siblings and yeah. then siblings came when they were able to come that day or the next day. Nice. And then yeah. practically siblings showed up. <laughs> and then and then practically <laughs> siblings showed up and we had yours truly that would there. Be me. Exactly. That would be me. <laughs> Singing Thank a lullaby a day or two yeah. after. It was that very was sweet. Um, Okay, so that's visitors at the hospital. But one of the other things people really manage during this time is, of course, once the word has spread that you are home, Mm -hmm. visitors then become a big deal coming to visit the baby at home. I think everyone feels a little bit more comfortable coming to the house where, you know, mom can be kind of relaxing and in her environment and like dad's there to help. Everything's it's just a little less formal than at the hospital. But when I was talking to you guys after baby, I mean, I thought we were going to be going into spring with weekend visitors like you guys really received quite a lot of visitors what worked for you in terms of either overnight people who came to stay or people who came just up for an afternoon because you're also dealing with a newborn baby right like her schedule is like willy-nilly based on her needs it kind of just evolved my mom actually came to visit right after the baby was born and as much as I was uh, hesitant to receive all of that support, my advice would really be welcome it with open arms 
because your body's recovering and you're figuring out how to take care of this baby. And there's, I think, no one better than a mom figure to baby you. My mom said that your baby needs to baby, be babied right now, but you need to be babied right now. Oh, that's such a good mom thing. Such a good mom thing. It, it was amazing. And um, I, I want to encourage my lovely wife to share the secret recipe, the the special pregnancy food that, that Pooja's mother made every morning okay. and insisted that I continue to make oh, so after she, she was gone. Okay. A- absolutely. And, Maybe and, you should. And prepped the, I was say, prepped yeah, the ingredients. Say, Pooja, this Dan, is the test, honey. What's the recipe? All right, so, um, we're going to test. Al- I'm, I'm hearing Alka being like, okay, yeah. Let's yeah my mom's got listening. It by heart. And, and, uh-huh. I, I wish I could give you exact quantities, but it was like this much of this and this much of this. <laughs> okay. But it was um, uh, warm, it. warm milk okay. with turmeric. And chopped nuts, a mixture of nuts that have been chopped, but also chopped dates and sweet fruit. So maybe some coconut uh, and coconut. And that what we recently learned is that you have to add black pepper into turmeric and heat the turmeric in order to actually get the most beneficial properties from that turmeric. Oh, there you little have side it. note. And she also told me to to use a generous quantity of molasses sugar to sweeten it so Good. that it would be delicious and yummy. Mm-hmm. And um, it's become an absolute favorite of mine. I sometimes have it before bed. Now. We do it before bed. It's um, like your pre pre sleep drink. Yeah. Sort of a chopped nuts and fruit and turmeric. Warm milk beverage. Does just it delicious. all get blended? Are you chewing the chunks that are in there? Like how? What's she the consistency like? Chops up the the nuts and maybe the fruits or whatever, and puts them in a little Ziploc bag okay. for us, and then we add that in like a tablespoon. So or you so just add it in. So it's a and liquid so with with chunks yeah. that you then will chew as you, you drink chew. it. Maybe okay. you have a little spoon. Oh, that sounds mm-hmm. awesome. But you you having your mom particularly come um, or a mother figure to yeah. kind of mother you through yep. the process, but not in that like smother mother way, in that like, oh, someone's being really nice and making me this delicious drink. Yes, just appreciate it. And if there's a little bit of smothering, you know, I resisted <laughs> for a hot minute, but then I was like, why? Yeah. Just take it in. And, you know, if she's giving me more food than I can eat, eat as much as I can and then be appreciative and don't eat what I can eat, and that's fine. I don't need to fight with my mom about this. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. What about, like, a day visitor? You know, someone who's just coming up to meet the baby, literally. I mean, that's the thing. And I'm sure you guys experienced – did you set up a schedule? Did you – how did you manage that? What Did it feel overwhelming? Not too bad. We – we're very fortunate. Um, there were a lot of people that were invested and interested and wanted to come visit. And I found it was a pretty natural process. We had mom there that first week to really um, sort of give a lot of support. Yeah. And then I found that as that um, as her visit ended, we started really appreciating the visits. People would bring food when they came. Okay. And we did coordinate. People were pretty good about calling ahead of time. I have friends that used to just have stop-by privileges that acknowledged as much, gave me a call and said, so I know that you've now got a new baby and I probably don't have just stop-by privileges anymore. Is yeah. this afternoon a good time to stop by? I certainly appreciated that level of care. Just that change in the nature of your relationship didn't have to be communicated. Do you think some people probably need to communicate that to some friends who maybe aren't quite clued in to just what a big change a baby is? I think that's a reasonable thing to to clue someone in on. Yeah. yeah. Not to feed you the answer or anything, but you know, like <laughs> No, I think I think it makes total sense to invite someone over and then also just gently say, "You know what? I'm actually really tired. It's been so nice hanging out, but I think I need to go take a nap now." Yeah. Or whatever it is, just to give yourself that permission to take care of yourself because 
you're exhausted. Yeah. There's there's a lot going on. And did you find yourself letting people know that kind of when they'd schedule the visit, like saying things like, we can absolutely try. I just have no clue whether she's going to be, you know, ne- what she her needs are going to be the moment you arrive. So please bear with us as we're, you know. Yeah, but we did a lot of checking in. People I'm assuming kinda, people also just know this. Pe- yeah, people yeah. were pretty flexible. They, yeah. They'd ask us when was a good time and then we'd kind of let them know and at that point, the baby doesn't really have a schedule, so you kind of roll with it. She cries, she fusses, she's half asleep, she's asleep the entire visit, you know. Yeah, and people understand. Yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. And you, Dan, was starting to bring people would bring food, and one of the questions and things that we've heard people talk a lot about is the idea of a food delivery sign up or some way of of having kind of your meals always taken care of and. Um, we've, it's interesting actually how fiercely some of our listeners supported doing that. Um, and, and also the large mistakes that, that people, um, that we've seen couples make as they want so desperately to embrace something like that and don't do it well. Like we had, we had this one listener who had written in about a friend who had posted something about household chores and had really listed as an expectation that her friends and family should be coming by to vacuum. They should be coming by to do these. And it was really quite a nasty delivery of expectations as opposed to a gracious reception of offers of help, if I put it that way. Like, obviously, you guys weren't asking people to, like, um, yeah. do your vacuuming for you. But did you do any kind of food sign up? Did anyone offer to do that for you? I apologize that I did not. No, no, it's <laughs> fine. Like, no, I don't. Actually... I know you get Blue Apron. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, my mom came and she was phenomenal at making a huge quantity of delicious food and then freezing it. And so we had so much food just after the first week that we were working off of. You didn't even have to think about this. No, we definitely (laughs) didn't need to. My mom insisted on doing that, and we were so grateful. After that, people would come, and they would just kind of bring food or bring groceries and cook with us and hang out. We didn't sign up for any. Yeah, I I I like that that. one a lot. I haven't heard of someone doing that Mm because most people want to, like, give you your space. And I bet you're kind of like, no, 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 socializing's okay. Socializing is <laughs> definitely okay, you know, in like short quantities when you're ready for it. But having people be comfortable enough to, to engage with us and ask us what we wanted was nice. Yeah. And then we we didn't sign up for a meal service or some kind of planned, you know, people visiting with food. I think that we liked the flexibility of of calling people or asking people to come over when we were ready as opposed to having something already planned out and then feeling obligated. You know, maybe you're tired on Tuesday, but you have Sally coming over in the evening and you feel bad canceling plans on her. She's already made this casserole and bringing it over. So so then you're kind of in this awkward position. And we avoided that entirely and just would call Sally over whenever we felt comfortable. And that worked out wonderfully for us. That was a good strategy. Yeah. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, so you got the initial word out to the fam, but then there's like this big deal about announcements. And I'm curious, did you guys do paper announcements? Have you sent out like a special paper announcement yet? Not yet. Not yet. Okay, so that comes and and that can come later on as we know it's often something that kind of gets pushed off only because y'all are dealing with so much in the first couple of months. But social announcements, I, I definitely put this question in after Dan told me a certain story and he copped to <laughs> copped to something here. So, Dan, how did the social media announcements go? Well, very similarly to the paper announcements. <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> a little 
little slow on the uptake there, huh? So conf- confessional yes. to our, our, our incredible podcast audience. Yours truly is often on the back end of the window of acceptability on things like um, announcements or letting people know via social media. And um, in particularly the social media All I got to say is I, I kept on nudging. I like that just I kept on right nudging and was like, babe, shouldn't we announce that we're going to have a baby in January? I mean, this is, I don't know, March, then like June, then October. And he kept on being like, well, no, but let me just think about, let me, how are we going to, and, and he was not really down with the idea. And so at a certain point, I just said, we're going to have to wait till this baby's born at this point. It's silly to go, I'm eight months pregnant right now. Pooja, I didn't get that level of backstory on the story. I oh, thought yeah. you were just like going off on the fact that you guys hadn't done like an announcement on, on social media. No, I didn't realize no... that then there was a point where you were so far into the pregnancy. Yeah, you said, we're just waiting it. until the baby's born at this point. Exactly. So that's what we did. Is we oh, waited until after I'm the baby was born. I'm a very private person. I'm a very private person. <laughs> Despite my participation say, like, on a podcast as a <laughs> where we where we talk about I mean we actually I was gonna say our audience probably doesn't think of you that way. And in your in our personal life, I actually do know you're fairly private. You don't put a lot of stuff on Facebook. Mm-mm. You don't share a lot on your Mm-mm. social media. But you're right, because we talk about your life on the show. It's I ne- it never put two and two together that that's actually something our audience <laughs> wouldn't know about you. Oh, my goodness. But so wait, what, what happened? So let's get to the announcement, right? The social media announcement. Did so, you have to nudge him to do it? At no, eventually point? I just did it. Oh, OK. Eventually I just I just put out a cute photo of her and I announced it on very simply on Facebook. Facebook. And and then afterwards, he was the one who was like checking the Facebook announcement every hour, excited. He's like, "Oh, this person liked it. And I haven't talked to them in this long." His popularity. Like, this is why <laughs> you do these things. It's really fun to connect with people in this way. But for him, he's he he gets a little nervous about it. So yeah, it was so much fun. I loved that <laughs> Facebook announcement. I loved watching the the all of the people that we'd known our whole lives come out of the woodwork and share in that joy and that experience. So I, I appreciate that. Nut. So you would tell uh, future or people listening now who are pregnant and trying to plan out the best, you know, kind of uh, sort of around baby birth um, mm-hmm. announcements and all that. Go for it. Just make the post. Don't you don't have to make it fancy. You don't yes. have to make it cool and different. Just make it happen. Stick a photo on there. Announce the name. Dan to hesitant fathers, what were or hesitant mothers? What would you say? It, it was. It was a joy. It was a delight. And in that same spirit, I, I do want to send out a printed a paper announcement, something with a little picture. Our refrigerator is this wonderful collage of friends and families, baby announcements and holiday cards. And I love seeing those pictures of the people we know and love. And I want to be a part of that experience for other people also. So note to self, remember to do it. And before it gets too long when she's still this cute and this adorable. Well, this is, I mean, kind of news to me. So I'm going to have to work on this now. (laughs) Working on a paper announcement. Done. We'll get you a 19th edition. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, thank you guys so much. Do you have any parting thoughts for, for our audience? members who might be either a close friend or family member is about to have a baby or they themselves are about to have a baby. Anything anything you would want to communicate? Two little tips that I thought of this morning yeah. that were really helpful for us. One, for mom and dad, bring a cardigan to, to labor because you're going to want to do a lot of skin to skin with your baby. And then afterwards, just, you know, cover up when friends and family come in the room. Makes it the cardigan, the makes, cardigan is like makes the right so, thing and better like the right than a zipper because then you don't have a zipper near 
baby, baby. head or yeah, anything. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. It's, okay. it's just soft and comfortable. So bring a cardigan. And the second piece of um, advice that I would give to, to a couple who's going into the hospital is bring your favorite lamp because the lighting is often really awful. fluorescent and awful. Oh. And so just a, a lamp a, makes you feel like you're at home a it, little it bit. It kind of and, creates that home feel. Yeah. Oh, nice. Good advice. Have fun. Great advice. <laughs> Thank you both so much for indulging me. I've been wanting to do this interview for like three months now. So I, well, two months now. We're not at three months quite yet. One week away. I was going to say. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for sharing your perspective too as new parents and, and telling your story of kind of how those first few weeks went. You're welcome. I'm so glad we were able to do this. And now you have seen how the mind of the infant grows. The infant reacts to the adult. But the adults also react to the infant. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today's salute comes from Darla, who met some wonderful folks via Craigslist and increasingly learned just how wonderful they were. Dear Lizzie and Dan, recently I responded to a Craigslist ad for a furniture item and soon became a part of what was a long chain of kind deeds and thoughtfulness. The person who placed the ad wrote back to me to say that she had posted the items for friends who were not tech-savvy enough to do so themselves. Nice. She gave my phone number to the furniture owners so they could make contact with me and we could move forward from there. When a meetup was arranged and I was looking at not only the piece I was originally interested in but several other items, the 70-something homeowners revealed that the furniture actually belonged to their daughter. She was in the process of moving, so they offered to sell it for her. Extra nice. To top off all this kindness, when I ended up purchasing several pieces of furniture, the father offered to load them up in his trailer and then deliver them to my home about a mile away and unload them into my garage. Super duper nice. Such a kind and thoughtful friend who posted the ads. Such kind and thoughtful parents who, at their age, are helping their adult daughter. Such kind people to deliver my purchases to my home to save me making several return trips with my vehicle. Such great examples for me to follow. Now it's up to me to pay all this forward, I guess. I promise I will do my awesome etiquette best. Thank you both for continually helping to perpetuate consideration, respect, and honesty in the world. I am grateful to have witnessed some of each recently in my corner of it. With much gratitude, Darla Kinney Scholes. Darla, that is such an awesome story. We hear all the time about bad manners online. We hear about awkward situations on Craigslist. This sounds like such a delight and from the perspective of someone who also had a very good time purchasing furniture on Craigslist at one point in his life, I like the reminder that lots of good things happen in those spaces and in real life as well. Thank you so much for sharing this story. And thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Lizzie A. Post. And I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please help us out. Subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and our awesome etiquette intern is Michaela Varnock. 